Episode 332, A New OS for Provider Organizations, otherwise known as the Patient-Centered Value System, PCVS. Today, I speak with Tony DeJoya, MD. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. In most other industries, it's the customer who consumes the services and engages with the purveyor of services. In healthcare, not so much. Legacy healthcare has evolved to honor the insurance carrier as the customer, or in some cases, the fancy surgeon or other driver of revenue as the customer. Listen to the podcast with Marshall Allen for more on that front, but yeah, and here we are. Healthcare should be designed so that patients get the best outcomes at a financially not toxic price point. Otherwise, what are we doing here besides putting profit over patients? Today, the conversation is about PCVS, otherwise known as creating a patient-centered value system, otherwise known as building a new OS or operating system for healthcare. One that is built around the patient and their experience. The general idea here is to rationalize the patient journey from start to finish to create a longitudinal flow that guides a patient from here to where they need to be with a minimum of being told you need a follow-up appointment but having no idea with whom or how that's supposed to happen and when or getting discharged with no instructions, etc. So PCVS, let's talk about this, how this works real quick before we dive in with Dr. DeJoya. In a nutshell, the first step is to really, really carefully trace the patient journey from beginning, the really the very, very beginning of the experience, which might start in the parking lot or with the first digital interaction or at the PCP referral to the very last interaction, which might be after discharge from the sniff or after their last follow-up appointment. It's figuring out what matters to the patient at each step in that journey and then documenting that flow map. Then the next step is to compare the current patient journey, the current state, to what the team decides is the ideal patient journey. Then the last task which may be obvious, is to implement, is for implementation teams to devise and implement action plans to get from here to there. Here's an interesting point to ponder. We often talk about fragmentation and interoperability. And when I said these words, your brain immediately snapped to technology fragmentation and interoperability. But bear this in mind, the patient is the only commonality between all the settings of care that are using all those varied technologies. When you rationalize the patient journey, you also, to some extent, create the foundation to integrate technology. Why a PCVS process, you might ask, if you're in charge of the P&L and regard patient-centeredness as a nice-to-have if there's extra cash lying around? Here's why. If you're going to successfully roll out a prospective bundle, for example, to employers, you better have gone through a PCVS process. Other things too, but being intimately aware of the patient journey and where patients fall through the cracks or get disgruntled can easily spell the difference between bundle success and failure. This is probably also true for really almost any sort of risk-based slash capitation arrangement. It's probably also true for 
great customer satisfaction scores. It's probably also going to become increasingly true when competing against some of these virtual first operations that may have been built from the ground up to be sticky and engaging for patients, as well as guide them through a longitudinal journey. For more on the WIFM, the what's in it for me, if you are a provider organization and are thinking about patient-centered care, listen to one of our most popular episodes over here at Relentless Health Value, the one with Joe Selby, MD, from PCORI on this topic. Links in the show notes. Today, I'm talking with Tony DeJoya, MD, about PCVS, patient-centered value systems. Dr. DeJoya is a practicing orthopedic surgeon at the Bone and Joint Center over at UPMC McGee Women's Hospital and also the medical director of the UPMC Innovation Center. Dr. DeJoya wrote a book aptly titled The Patient-Centered Value System, Amazon link in the show notes. One thing I thought of as I listened to this conversation again in preparation for releasing the episode, Dr. Shantanu Nundi has written that on the front lines of healthcare, clinicians and other frontline workers know what to do for their patients. They know what's the matter and what matters to the patient and, and really what they need. Dr. Nundi talks about how to efficiently transform healthcare. One thing that we need to do is in air quotes, decentralized control or shift power in terms of decision-making authority and resources really, you know, back to the front lines and to patients. The point that I'm making is that the PCVS system, the patient-centered value system, might be the OS that healthcare needs for decentralization to happen at a system level and in a way that everyone works together toward a common alliance goal. You know, as opposed to clinicians and patients all doing their own thing, you know, making their own assessments about what is needed at any given moment at potentially cross purposes to one another, you know, recreating all kinds of wheels that are going all kinds of different directions. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Tony DeJoya, MD, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you, Stacey. It's good to be here. So patient-centered value system. Just from a dictionary definition standpoint, what are we talking about here? The patient-centered value system, we feel, should be the new operating system for redesign of healthcare delivery systems. It's an approach that uses and requires us to view all care through the eyes of our patients and families. We use the, our mission to be the drive to redesign healthcare delivery system to affect all the issues that we know occur in healthcare, uncoordinated care, fragmented care. Patient-centered value system brings together all the dis many times disparate approaches into one approach with the unifying factor that we focus on the patient and the patient's and family's needs. And it's amazing when you do that, that it achieves all the goals that we'd like to achieve in healthcare and delivering value, meaning improved outcomes, better experiences, and reducing cost as well. Regular listeners of the show know right now what I'm going to be captivated by, which is the idea that the patient-centered value system is an operating system. It's almost the OS of healthcare. And I can really see how you could make that correlation and why you would. Because if you think about what an operating system is and is supposed to accomplish, it's, it's how a user perceives the underlying system, which I think is actually a really good analogy to what you're trying to accomplish with the patient-centered value system. 
it's the infrastructure to allow us to redesign care delivery. And as you know, uh, particularly in areas of innovation, you really have to get back to basics. And there's no doubt that we're in the need to do that in healthcare. It's happened in every other industry, but healthcare certainly lagged behind. So if we're thinking about applying a new OS to our healthcare delivery, i.e. applying the patient-centered value system here, at the end of the day, you know, one of the the things that you said that a patient-centered value system accomplishes is helping reduce the fragmentation, improve care coordination. At a very top view, what does that look like? Like, you know, what's the sort of overarching, you know, either the first step or, or kind of the plan? Well, one of the reasons that there's so much uh, fragmentation and uncoordinated care is because of the historical silos that have developed in healthcare. And again, not to the blame of the healthcare providers, but our system was developed in which you were an inpatient and only an inpatient, right? An outpatient and only an outpatient. And those borders are being, are being completely obliterated and blended, particularly for bundling programs. So these artificial silos that we have in healthcare have to be crossed and broken down if we are going to deliver value. And the way to do that, if you think about this, you know, I always say, think of one of my patients that goes through a four-month experience having a joint replacement. In the past, it was sort of me in the hospital, right? I see them in the office, I do the surgery. But when you start talking about expanding the experience, and if you talk to patients, it is a full experience. It's not just what's in the office and hospital, but it involves preoperative testing and teaching. It involves comorbidity reduction. It involves therapy. It involves pharmacy. It involves insurance companies. It involves many different players. And I'll challenge you and your listeners to think about the only common denominator between all the silos, these artificial silos that are in healthcare, is our patient. So if we want to understand their experience and in, by using their experience, under, understand the process and the healthcare delivery system, the patient is the common denominator. We have to follow the patient through their care and determine all those touch points that happens. And this is for everything. This isn't just for joint replacement, whether it be chronic uh, diabetes care, just across the board, it's that approach. So there's a very practical reason for having us, again, focus on the patient and what their needs are because they will connect the dots and they will break down these silos that have occurred in healthcare that we need to break down if we're going to deliver value. You wrote a book, Dr. DeJoya. We can link to it in the show notes. The introductory chapter of the book was really fascinating and it just kind of goes through how disjointed a patient's experience actually is. And the impact of that is not only health outcomes are going to diminish, but also this is where trust starts to erode. That's a perfect example how on the negative side, it can start affecting trust. But and the example in the book was a level one trauma patient. And we and it, it is a real story. We work at UPMC Presbyterian University's hospital as one of the pilot programs. And we wanted to expand into a unexpected care experience, like a trauma experience, but also one where the patient and family were separated to begin with, to show that you can use the patient-centered value system to redesign care delivery. And it is very clear, again, once you follow the patient through their experience, once you follow the family member through their experience, how uncoordinated and fragmented the care is. Again, it's not just that it provides a poor experience for the patient and family, but it provides poor care. 
And by mapping out those touch points and mapping out those areas and providers that are involved in the patient's care, you can redesign the care delivery system to reduce that fragmentation and uncoordinated care. And again, not only improve experiences, but also improve their outcomes too. At the super highest level, step one is shadow the patient, look at what the system looks like from their point of view, map the whole thing out, you know, just make a chart. They go here, they go there to figure out what the existing experience is, then maybe pinpoint areas to prioritize, to smooth out. Is that kind of, you know, step one and and step two? Yes, you covered it. The way we prioritized it is, number one, the challenge is to view all care through the eyes of patients and families. That's the challenge because many times we don't do that. And it's hard sometimes providers to shift a different hat, wear a different hat than as a provider. So the, the most important theme is to we must view care through the eyes of patients and families. And we provide tools for us to do that which are tools like the What Matters to You survey, shadowing that you mentioned, writing the ideal story, care experience flow maps that map out the actual journey of the patient. The second phase of that, though, which again is important, are the themes of co-design and team building. Co-design is where, and this happens in every other industry, except for healthcare, but you must view the experience through the eyes of your end user. And our end users are patients and families, period. So it's very important to engage them in the redesign of care as the end users. But to do that, you have to build a team that typically is very different than the care teams that we've developed in the past. And again, if you think about bundling, it's not a hospital team anymore exclusively. It's not an office team exclusively anymore. It's all those other touch points that happens over a four-month period of taking care of the patient. And this is it kind of goes back to what you were what you were saying earlier relative to how if, if you're going to do a joint replacement bundle, you've got outpatient, you've got inpatient, maybe you have skilled nursing facility. So you have to have everybody get together in that room as part of that care redesign team. You know, otherwise it's going to be patient gets shuttled out onto the sidewalk trying to figure out how the next step, right? how to take care of themselves, right? Yes, you're absolutely right. But remember, you only have to have a representative of a group. You don't, sometimes one of the hurdles that's discussed maybe from the leadership side is, you know, isn't this going to take too much time and effort? And if you just need representatives from each of those touch, touch points to get together, you know, one of the maybe positive sides of the pandemic is now we can do a lot of this virtually and bring the teams together very quickly, very efficiently, but it becomes a very dynamic process. And then in, as, as part of the methodology, we do sub-segment sub bigger teams into smaller project teams that really are the ones that do the work at the grassroots level. I could see how, you know, if it's a bundled payment at a certain level, everyone has an aligned financial perspective, you know, or, or ambition here. But one of the big reasons why so much of healthcare is, is is fragmented is that every constituent has, you know, their own priorities. Some are worried about reimbursement, financial performance overall, some are FFS, some have some, you know, readmission penalty they're worried about, some have some quality metric. But for this to work, everybody has to be singing off the same sheet of music to really create that seamless patient experience. How do you, considering that culture eats strategy for lunch, what's the approach here? 
So it gets back to the most important theme is to require everyone to view care through the eyes of patients and families. And we have found over and over that if you focus on that theme, that all the constituents benefit in the process from providers to hospitals and insurance companies, offices, everyone does benefit from it. One of the unique things that the patient-centered value system does, unlike other industries, is it turns out our mission can also be used as the motivation to drive change. And that's why when, for instance, when we start a new group, there's a lot of naysayers in this process. So the first thing we do is what matters to you and shadowing, because it will, in very real terms, show everyone what the current experience is for patients and the gaps in care and the uncoordinated care. And it's amazing how it opens up people's eyes. Yeah, so let's talk about the what matters to you. You mentioned it, it earlier. So do you want to just explain, from what I understand, what you're doing is you ask patient what patients at different points in their care journey, what matters to you? What matters to you? The basic theme is, you know, in the past as a provider, we've asked patients, what is the matter with you? Right. You know, why do what hurts? You know, what what do you want? That kind of thing. This is a, a theme that was actually championed by Maureen Bisignano, who was the former CEO of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement in Boston, in which several years ago, she said, we need to reframe, rephrase that question from what is the matter with you to what matters to you. And initially, it was a very qualitative approach. But we've since then made it a methodology in which it can be quantified as well. So we have a series of, of surveys of somewhat open-ended that ask patients and their families what matters to you in their experience. And Stacy, so you know, we've actually extended this to frontline providers as well because they have so much information that we could take advantage of and redesign. And sometimes they don't have an outlet to give their opinion. So this tool can be used for patients, families, and providers, and use that as a very actionable input to start to drive change. But again, importantly, to show everyone what they experience and what the care is viewed through the eyes of patients and families. If I'm a patient and I'm filling out the what matters to me, what do I write on that form? And then how are you translating it into something that is, is actionable? So specifically, what are things that people are writing? Because they're not going to write, I need more education. You know, like, what are they writing? For instance, if you ask a patient, many times, you know, when we, without the input from patients, say what we think matters to patients before or after a joint replacement, they don't necessarily align with what the patient says. So, for instance, sometimes the, there are non-clinical issues like who's going to help take care of me at home? You know, how am I going to get to outpatient therapy? What about my husband who I take care of? What, how am I going to navigate the system? because many of them do under, understand it's fragmented and sometimes sometimes uncoordinated. So it gives you a, a foothold to start looking at designing those systems to address that, and not just on the clinical side, but on the experiential side too. And how is that quant? Yeah, I definitely understand how it's yes. qual, but, but how, how do you turn that into a quant measure? Yes, more recently, we've been using artificial intelligence tools to do word captures, particularly with the COVID study that we were doing with the national health system in the UK, because there were hundreds and hundreds of responses with that. 
And and again, this is early, but very hopeful that we are going to be able to quantify those responses using artificial intelligence evaluations of the responses and then provide additional impactful information that can be tracked and followed. So you have metrics to also monitor how the change is. And there is information. We have some case studies on our one of our website, Go Shadow, that is leading the effort in both shadowing, but also what, applying what matters to you. So if we're talking about physicians or nurses, you know, there was a career choice that was made to serve patients. If we're talking about, on the other hand, the front desk. One of the things that you'll see over and over again in Yelp reviews, and somebody was talking about this, I, I, maybe it might have been Jerry Durham, who was on the show a, a few months ago, and his he does a lot of work with front desk teams. But the front desk shows up all the time as <laughs> the reason why the patient has a poor experience, right? The front desk team didn't go to school and take a Hippocratic oath. Same thing with the custodial team, who a lot of times is making minimum wage and there's a really high turnover. But those two groups really impact patient experience. How is it that their role within the new OS, from a mission-driven or cultural perspective, how are these individuals made part of the the program? Because obviously, and correct me if I'm wrong, but them being equally committed is essential. Absolutely. And this is built into the patient-centered value system because, as I mentioned, the only requirement for becoming part of the team is that you touch the patient's experience, right? And you think about it, you know, that first call to the office is the first touch point. Another touch point is parking experience. Another touch point is definitely when they present themselves to the front desk. Another touch point is the MA or the initial evaluation. It's not just the PA and the doctors and the nurses. And and again, this is built into the system where we view all of those staff, all of those frontline staff as part of the team. And you're right, you, you will not change the system unless you have their involvement. On the good side, we have seen over and over how thankful many of the, the frontline staff that may not be viewed as a provider are still involved in helping to redesign the care. You know, I'll give you an example of the level one trauma experience that I, we've been talking about that's in the book. We had physicians that were the trauma surgeons working with the parking attendants that had to address that family member's approach to the hospital being told that their loved one underwent a level one trauma experience. And the the parking staff was unbelievably creative in coming up with solutions and ways to, to handle that. And not only did it improve the experience, and improve the flow of the patient and their family through. So our, for instance, our patient, we call it the patient and family reunion, which is so impactful, whether it's level one trauma or after surgery or any intervention is so impactful. We could manage that in such a way that not only improve the experience, but also improve the flow of the patient. So built into the system, we, we encourage all of those uh, staff members, anyone who touches the patient experience to become part of the care team. A lot of times the custodial staff reports up on a different organizational line than, you know, the front desk staff, than the the, the clinical staff. So obviously this has to be a top-down initiative, probably driven from the C-suite. I saw something the other day someone had put on, on LinkedIn, this quote, unless you show a significant penalty in CEO ramifications, the leadership team is just bored, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was frighteningly true. 
How do you get the C-suite of an organization to buy into something that sounds like it's going to be very time consuming and require internal commitment and spend? So I would say, first of all, that Stacey, I differ in, in that the patient center value system starts as a grassroots effort. There's a whole body of work from other industries, again, that talks about disruptive processes and disruptive technologies. And the patient center value system is a disruptive process, meaning it challenges organizations on how they do their jobs and do their work. One of the lessons learned from the other industries is that you do need to have a, we call them administrative champion. For the process, typically it's, you know, could be a CEO, but typically could be a VP, director, that it becomes the champion and becomes part of the working group. Their role is to help break down hurdles that we know are going to exist. So we involve them from the very, very, very beginning. And they don't necessarily, to begin with, have to be what I call cheerleaders. You know, it's, it's nice to have that enthusiasm too, but they need to be there. And they need to be committed to the patient-centered value system. But it's really a bottom-up effort. And I always say it's a bottom-up effort that meets top-down. And that's how you're going to change organizations. That's the only way you change cultures within organizations, when you have that meeting of the bottom-up than top down. And that's built into the methodology. So that grassroots effort, obviously every effort, it's, you know, it's just like crossing the chasm. You have to have either an individual or a small group of individuals who are leading the way and who are championing that grassroots initiative. So is that going to be several individuals who are just really patient focused and so mission driven that they have recognized that there's issues within the organization and they're just really concerned and therefore kind of drive everybody else along with them? <laughs> or is it somebody who has recognized, you know, they did some math and realized that nobody's ever going to make the bundles be profitable unless you do this? You know, like, who are these individuals who are the champions? Well, I mean, first of all, we take all any any form of interest. Any comers? <laughs> any comers, because we can give them the tools wherever they're coming from, whether it's the experience side, the outcome side, the financial side. If they have interest in them, we can provide the tools to improve not just their area, but the other areas. So I think the most important theme that you hit on is that there is enthusiasm. They've recognized there's a problem. And there, and there is an enthusiasm for driving change. So it could be, for instance, in the level one trauma experience, we had a, a surgeon and one of the nurse coordinators for the le whole level one trauma experience as the champions. And they get together initially and they do the initial what matters to you. They do the initial shadowing because they want to set the stage of determining their current state, but also requiring both everyone to view care through the eyes of patients and family, which many times generates urgency to drive change. But remember too, that's the way you build your team from that information through the care experience flow maps. Obviously, there's an opportunistic aspect of this. You use the term disruptors as, as this being disruptive internally to the health system. But this also I could see being driven by disruptors outside the health system who are very good at customer experience. In fact, that's what they come in as their core competency, really. You know, some of these tech companies who know 100% how to make a really sticky experience. So if you have these external parties who are the virtual front door and are really working hard to ensure that there's a very mobile-friendly app and telehealth that you can make appointments very, very conveniently. I could see that the, the delta between the customer experience offered by those 
entities versus traditional experience becomes more stark when there are alternatives. The top line is higher than maybe previously anticipated. Is that factoring into any of the conversations that you've been having with people who are looking to do the PCVS as a motivation? Oh, absolutely. I, I think it gets back to one basic principle. How can we take advantage of technology to support process? Not just have technology in itself, but how can it support the process of redesign, support healthcare delivery? And that has certainly been accelerated during the pandemic, right? I mean, we, all of us on the provider side, have stepped into the telemedicine realm much more quickly and much more aggressively than what we have in the past. So I think there is a very unique opportunity and window to combine technology with process, and not to have it by itself, but to become part of this redesign process. And together, I think we can achieve many things much quicker and export and scale much quicker than we could have two years ago with this. So is is telehealth a synonym for technology in this example? Or when you say technology, like what's in that basket? It's that whole sort of bundle of technologies that supports the performance improvement and the redesign of the system, not just in being technology itself. I think the as far as from the, the phone side, the apps, it's this whole area of engaging patients in their own care in a more timely way. So, for instance, the, there's an app that we use to engage patients in their post-operative care where there's regular communication sent out, regular reminders, and an opportunity to, for the patient to respond to. So it's the engagement part that I think the, the power of those apps will be. There's a whole big area in just, you know, being able to monitor patients, say, physical therapy, you know, as an outpatient without having them to come in or come into the, even to a physical therapy center. There's matching technologies that are starting to look at. We can actually measure the movement of limbs themselves. So not only would it be a subjective evaluation, it could be objective and it will all happen through our cell phones too. But the bottom line is it, these are engagement tools and technologies that we do need to start looking at to help redesign care delivery. Are you bullish on any other technology that helps reduce fragmented care or coordinated care? Is there anything that's being used internally, you know, clinician to clinician that you're seeing is also an area where technology could assist with PCVS endeavors? I think in the area of the electronic medical records, I know UPMC is very aggressive at looking at using machine learning and artificial intelligence to evaluate huge, huge volumes of data on patients and, and to quantify many things that we've subjectively done in the past. Another area, again, that UPMCs and others have been very much pursuing is how to have medical record systems talk to each other. Because like we said, it's not just a hospital experience anymore. You know, it's an outpatient experience, it's a therapy experience. And unfortunately, the, the silos that we talked about earlier also developed in the technology side. So now we need to look at how can we harvest that information, make it easier for physicians to talk to physicians or physicians talking to the therapist and, and to keep the patient involved in that process too. So I think that's a second area that as an extension of the EMR that will become very important moving forward. Dr. DeJoy, if there's anyone who's interested in getting more information about the work that you're doing, where would you direct them? I would say the best site to start with is is a, a site we developed called Discover drd.com, not because it's my site, but because it's a connector site. It will show you 
all the different programs that we have from patient-centered value system to shadowing to what matters to you to some of our missionary work. And the second site I would I would recommend is ghostshadow.org. That is more specific to what matters to you and the shadowing process. Our goal is always to say, you want to learn enough and know enough that you can start this next Monday in your own care experience. And that's why the site's set up like that. Tony DeJoya, MD. Thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. You're very welcome, Stacey. And thank you again for the invitation. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.